Welcome to The Entrepreneur, conversations with entrepreneurs who view their past failures as learning experiences rather than setbacks. Today's guest on The Entrepreneur, Damien Pride, founder and CEO of Vine Life. There's a lot in terms of entrepreneurs and, and businesses that get born out of difficult times. People find solutions. Now here's the host of The Entrepreneur, Ashley Breed. If you could start out with your name and your company and just kind of a little high-tech intro. Okay, so my name is Damien Priday. I am the founder of Vine Life. Uh, Vine Life is an online marketplace for small wineries to sell directly to consumers. We work with small American wineries from around the country and it's really cool because we get to work with people who you know, are doing this as a side project, are doing this as, you know, their their next gig that they're hoping to build up. You know, and we're working with everybody from like one person teams to husband and wife, family matters to, you know, all the way to like, you know, bigger teams with, you know, that are more integrated and and that. So it's a lot of fun. You get to taste a lot of really delicious wine and meet a lot of cool people from around the country. So every experience in it has been amazing. Well, so how long have you been doing it? So I've been doing it, I guess, technically I've been doing this for five years. A stop start, on and off, try something, it didn't work, try something else, it didn't quite work, you know, trying to see what the fit is. But really... Uh, we got our our big start, our big kickoff, and like finally figure everything out and be able to go uh, go with it. Probably in in May of this year. So we're still new, we're still brand brand new, but you know the world changed and a lot of the new normals kind of afforded us uh, a new opportunity and a new way of looking at things. Well, it sounds like maybe it started to play in your favor after. Feeling like the ball doesn't roll your way, maybe. Yeah, it definitely did. And, you know, a lot of the the wineries that we've worked with, you know, they've had to face their own unique challenges. If you consider that, you know, a lot of wineries are selling most of their stock directly to distributors, you know, not to consumers, you know, and they sell it for a much smaller proportion uh, than what they would be selling directly, like on their websites, through their tasting rooms. And both sides of that equation have kind of taken a knock, uh, especially through distributors. Distributors sell mostly to restaurants and that whole channel has just collapsed in the last year. It's super sad. You know, I've seen a lot of friends really struggle with it, but a lot of wineries have said like, you know, a year ago when we, when we had the restaurant channel and we had the retail channel flying, we never would have given you the, you know, the time of day to talk to, but now we need it. You know, not because it's, you know, it's just a way for us to sell our wine, but we have a bigger margin if we sell it directly and sell it like through you. So that's kind of where we, where we are. And maybe it's a little bit of coming across with like the right idea at the right time. Yes. Um, Sounds like you, you know, all of the travails over the last five years or however long to kind of find the right fit all benefited you to just be in the right place at the right time, the right product. And unfortunately, a pandemic is your right market. Yeah. And there's a lot in terms of entre- entrepreneurs and, and businesses that get born out of difficult times. People 
find solutions. And I think like for me, having had the solution before that, it kind of just required something of a, of a, a holy shit moment for a lot of other people to really realize that, okay, there's, there, you know, the way that we've been doing things is actually broken, you know, that maybe that there's a new way of thinking about it. And, you know, through trial and error, I hope that I'm able to say that, yeah, we kind of found that new way of, of thinking and new way of approaching something. So do you feel validated in that? Have you been sort of banging the drum for the last five years of, hey, everyone, you need us? Or has it, and do you feel validated now that you've been able to address that market gap that you saw? So I wouldn't say that I've been banging the drum for the last five years. I've sort of been opening my own eardrums, I guess. You know, for the last five years, in order to sort of make ends meet uh, and be on top of everything, and also just to find my way in the in the industry, I, I worked at retail stores in Boston, and that's where I really got to meet uh, and talk to people, you know, one on one, face to face, all the time, and that you know was you know a baptism of fire, a you know a founding you know a forgery really for like me to you know be able to learn about what it is that people wanted and be able to to listen to them like every single day and also to meet winemakers who were visiting and doing tastings with us and things like that and putting those two together you know I started to realize that okay there is there is a gap there is an opportunity there is something missing here in consumers wanted access to these smaller wineries yeah, consumers wanted access to small wineries. Consumers, I think today, are more open to shopping on their values rather than just shopping, you know, on, you know, however marketing speak has been portrayed in the last few years. And that's especially the case in the wine industry where you have a lot of technical speak, you have a lot of tasting notes and ratings and scores and points. And for a lot of people that just kind of goes like over their head. Uh, and nobody was really listening to people. Nobody was listening to the humans on the other end. And it made sense because there was that, the three-tiered system where you have, you know, a producer to distributor to retailer. It's like a broken chain. It's like a broken telephone. So that's kind of where we started to pick up. It's like, what if we remove those barriers or if we remove those obstacles? Then we can have this this communication that's a lot more open between you know the producer and the and the person on the end, and that's kind of where you know everything sort of starts for us. You know, in terms of the experience, it's all designed and built around being able to to understand people, understand humans. And is that the original model that you set out with, or had did this evolve over numerous stops and starts? Definitely evolved over numerous stops and starts. You know, it's it's always been my you know, my fourth, my founding idea is, has always been sort of something is wrong, but not being able to quite put my finger on it. And if I told you today, I'm able to put my finger on it, I would be completely lying to you. There is no, there is no endpoint in, in this, you know, in terms of how people talk about things and how they, how they purchase things. These, these methods, these, you know, the mentalities and things like that change over time, you know, and what I've sort of aimed to, you know, to build 
from a technology, from a tech perspective, from a design perspective, from a marketing perspective, is always sort of around that, well, are we able to understand and listen to the person in their clearest voice at this current moment, rather than us vomiting a lot of, you know, nonsense at them and then going to them as like, oh, well, you don't understand what terroir means? Oh, well, you need to know that in order for you to appreciate this, mm-hmm. which is which is like a huge barrier to entry in, in, in the wine business. It's, oh, you don't know what that means? Well, you need to understand it. Well, you need to be educated to appreciate it. And I was like, no, it doesn't. Does it taste good to you? Do you like it? Great. If you don't like it, we, we move on. We move on to the next one. Don't sit there and say, well, oh, you just don't appreciate it because you don't understand what biodynamic viticulture is. That's an esoteric nonsense, you know, farming practice that involves growing and, and harvesting by the phases of the moon and burying cow horns in your ground. You know, yeah, nobody's going to really understand it. But if you sort of explained it in more human terms of, well, yeah, we, we, we do this because we feel it makes better wine because we feel that, you know, everything is more, you know, closer to our hearts, closer to our passion, closer to the earth. And people are going to gravitate towards it rather than like the strict technicalities of it. Um, It sounds like you've made a much more inclusive culture and really focused on that and making wine much more accessible for the masses. Yeah. We want to make it accessible for the masses, but at the same time, wine is also still a very geeky interesting thing that once you you pick up on something you tend to explore it in in its depth you know and we kind of want people to to be able to follow those paths you know if you you know i go out to to oregon for example and in oregon you know everybody's making pinot noir and everybody focuses on the the different clones of the different vines. Well, this is a pomade, well, this is a Dijon, well, this is this, and this is clone, clone 27, and this one is clone 33. And it's, you know, I, I'm a I'm a wine geek. I love geeking out on wine. And the first time people was coming up to me, it's like, oh, it's this clone. And I just went, whoa, easy, easy. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's crazy. Like, what are you talking about? But once it gets a little bit, once you start to realize something, once you know wine is this really cool sensory experience where when you taste something and someone gives you a little bit of information behind that taste something clicks whether it's a story whether it's you know something about the soil well this is granite soil or this is you know this is limestone and you take you start to taste little differences you want to sort of explore those things and it's you know some people will go really, really deep. Some people won't. You know, it's kind of what we're what we're doing is opening it up to the masses. But then, hey, if you want to continue down that path, go down that path. Explore. Have fun. That's kind of, you know, where a lot of fun stuff can... <laughs> so you're clearly passionate about viticulture, wine, bringing wine, interesting wines to uh, the masses, getting everyone as excited about wine and as passionate about it as you are. How hard is it to separate yourself from 
the failure or from the setbacks when it is something that you truly love and that you truly believe in? Oh gosh, it's, it's very hard, but I think it also in the fact that it is hard has actually made it possible. If that makes sense, you know, um, you know, if we if we want to go into sort of the failures and stuff like that, I, I came to Boston in 2009, I got an MBA at Suffolk and then I struggled to get my first job in Boston. I think I probably only got my first job like 2011, 2012, maybe I got my first job when I graduated in 2011. And there were a lot of starts and stops. There were a lot of, you know, times where I felt like I had something and I was yes, I was so close and so close. And then it would get pulled out from under me that, you know, I, I lost faith, you know, a lot of times, but if you're hungry and sometimes literally I was hungry, you, you fight, you persevere, you keep going and you try. I, my ex at the time, she convinced me to do something called startup Institute, Mm -hmm. which is not defunct, uh, sadly, but you know, even then, you know, I applied and I didn't get in. So I applied again and I didn't get in. And I applied a third time and I didn't get in. And then they called me and said, okay, what the hell is going on here? I was like, well, I've applied three times for your marketing program. And they said, stop applying for our marketing program. You've applied so many times. Like you, you know, marketing, you know, you, you're good. But we're for people who want to like change into a marketing program I was like okay what should I do and they said would you be interested in doing our sales program and I said "Mm, okay what the hell let's do it and you know got a job straight out of startup institute I wasn't very good at it and then got another job and I wasn't very good at it and I realized hang on a second I'm not wait maybe I'm not good at sales and someone told me he's like maybe you shouldn't do sales and I was like oh crap well that feels like time wasted Hmm. but what was kind of funny is I realized at that point what my passion was, what my real, real passion was. And it, I kind of came along realizing that my passion was wine. I went home to South Africa, uh, was there for a month. My mom, uh, on the last day when I was about to return, she said, my son, what do you like? What do you, what's your passion in life? He said, you know what, mom, you know what I really like to do? I like drinking. She said, oh, dear God. <laughs> oh my goodness well you know she's like i know your dad works in the alcohol industry for 35 years so i have a feeling that, that you actually mean something so please explain and i said you know i like i like i like good beer i like good whiskeys and good spirits and good cocktails and i like really good wine and what kind of i'm interested in is that people can be so passionate about something can devote their entire lives. And in some cases, you know, if you look at places in France and Italy, generations spanning back hundreds of years, a family has dedicated their entire history to making something that you're going to enjoy for five minutes. (laughs) And if it's good, and if it's really, really good, you will remember it for the rest of your life. And I remember, you know, I, I, I realized that and I first first realized that 100% to myself was I was in Oregon. I was tasting wine 
and I tasted something and I could get this taste of dust and gravel in my mouth. doesn't sound too appealing, but to me, you know, to taste that sort of something like dusty, like a warm, dusty road, like it kicked, it just totally sparked a memory in my mind to, you know, the dusty roads and that I would drive up to go to wineries in South Africa and be like, oh, I can smell it. I can feel it. I can take, I can feel where I am. Wine has that, like I mentioned, like wine is a sensory experience. Wine kicks off all of these memories. And that's when I started to, to realize, you know, this is what I wanted to do. And I kept persevering, you know, I kept trying to, you know, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. It just became a matter of figuring it out. And I, while I was trying to figure out exactly how I would get into the wine industry, I was an Uber driver for a, for a couple of years. And what was really funny is I had a really fancy car at the time and I would drive around and pick people up in my fancy car and they're like, what the hell? (laughs) Well, I had a really good paying job before this. Now I'm doing this to like make ends meet, but (laughs) I might argue that I don't think that you're bad at sales. That was a really beautiful story that I was like on bated breath to learn more. And I think maybe you're just not good at selling things that you're not passionate or uh, that you feel, you know, authentic about, you know, that's exactly the case. That's exactly the case because when I jumped into selling wine at a retail store, I worked at this. Um, I worked at the shop in the South End, this small little wine shop. I don't know if it's okay to like say, tell, say the name. You know, I don't want to like. No. Um, so I worked. Wait, at gonna, are you going to say something bad about them? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> they're, they're absolutely marvelous people, and I, I love them to death. The owner of the store, uh, so it's Bricks Wine Shop, is where I worked. The owner of the store is actually my next door neighbor. Uh, and that's not how we met. That's not how I like came into it. I had applied to work at the, to work at the store. And when I sat down for an interview and she took out my resume, she read the address and she was like, I live next door. <laughs> that's kind of like really, really funny. But there was one day where I was at the shop and it was a super, super busy. I think it was Super Bowl Sunday. So we were super, super busy. I was usually by myself on Sundays and the owner of the store had come in to actually get a few things for her own Super Bowl party, pick up a few bottles of wine, some beers. And she was, Hey, Damien, what should, what kind what beer should I get? We had like half a dozen people in the store and I was uh, helping someone out. There were a few other people waiting and I'm trying my best to like keep up with everything. And so the owner, uh, her, customer service attitude kicks right in. She's just like, I'm not a customer. This is my shop. I go and help people. So she goes over to someone and says, hi, can I help you? And they go, oh no, it's okay. I'm going to wait for Damien. Waiting. I'm, I'm waiting for him and I want his recommendations. And she was like, I've owned this store for 15 years. <laughs> this is my shop. I like, I buy the wine, not, not him. It's like, I know all the wine. Like, not him. And then she had to like come up to me and share it with me. He's like, I don't know if you realize how good you are at, at, at customer service and selling things because you're passionate about them. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, what I am passionate about. That's what I love to do is to sell. I don't, I, I don't think of myself as, as selling wine rather than it's going to sound so cliche and I don't mean it to be, but you know, I sell, I sell stories, you know, and I sell, I sell the people behind the wine because 
I honestly think like if you if you know something about the people behind behind it, your mind is is opened up in the appreciation of of the product. You know, good wine can be made anywhere in the world. A great wine requires a little bit of a, a spark and a memory to to hold it with. And I think that sometimes, you know, sharing a story is is what really opens people up to that. So how do you translate that experience and selling the story online in Vine Life? Um, talk to me in two years when I've like fully figured that out. <laughs> you know, I think it really starts up with us, you know, we have to, to start at the basics, you know, especially when you're working in a retail setting where you have hundreds, literally hundreds of SKUs mm-hmm. available at any time. And in a wine store, they're constantly rotating. And, you know, we might get a, we might get a wine that we really love. And then our distributor turns to us and says, Hey, guess what? There are only six bottles available, not even a whole case. You guys can have six bottles. Well, now I have to sell six bottles of wine. And then what do I replace it with? Now I've got another like turnover issue, but sometimes, you know, wines would sit on the shelf for, for a very long time. And, you know, we tasted them and loved them and then someone left and they get forgotten about and, you know, things pass over. We fall in love with different with new wines all the time and things like that. I feel like you take it very hard when wines don't sell or they sit on the shelves. These feel like abandoned children. I do. <laughs> I, I do, you know, and I'm, and I'm always trying to like, look for those wines, like, wait a second, you know, how can we, how can we get you, how can we get you moving? What, what do you need to do to get you out the door? We got to find, you know, you got to find someone who's going to appreciate it is the best possible way. It's disingenuous when you have something that is sitting there and you're just like, well, I'm going to make up some stuff. So just to get it out the door. Damien, how much do you feel that you have been granted, you know, in giving these wines a second chance in, a semi- in many ways, that this is your metaphor for your own life, giving yourself a second chance or putting people or yourself in the right position or the place to succeed? Do you mean, do I have empathy for a bottle of wine? Yes. Great yes, I do. <laughs> I totally do. You know, um, I was talking to someone today, you know, about, you know, as a husband and wife team talking about you know one their own wines that they that that they make and that they work with and then you know you know the woman who we were talking to was like you know what my full-time job my day job is working for another winery you know I think that that would be a great place too you know and it's not you know we're not super well known you know it's not really like getting the story's not really getting out there but you know this is you know the winemaker is this guy and and I was like hold the phone I love that guy's wines absolutely you know we would love to work with you because like oh can we send you samples and I'm like well yeah send me samples because I want to know if it's a good wine or not sure but you know more importantly you know this is a person who's you know a well-known well-respected winemaker you know we can get you that story of being like you know that's that little piece of the story where now I can find people who are going to appreciate that wine for, you know, for, for, for a reason mm-hmm. that they, they love and respect that winemaker. So in terms of like, you know, am I giving another, am I giving a wine a second chance? Yes. You know, because I think that the wines, 
deserve a second chance because I think that they deserve some recognition. And I think the people, you know, do deserve recognition if, if it's worthwhile, you know, I'm not, if, if a wine is sitting on a shelf because it's a bad wine, too bad, so sad. I feel like I could replace wine with Damien in all of those sentences. Yeah. If Damien is sitting on a shelf because he sucks, <laughs> then too bad he's sitting on the shelf. No, before um, that, before that, it was poetic. <laughs> but no, I, th- I think you can. I think, you know, you know, perseverance and knowing, you know, knowing something about someone, you know, it goes even, it even goes to, you know, um, the people who I, who I work with and who I've employed, you know, they've tasted, you know, failure or, you know, or, you know, I don't want to say failure, but, you know, they've, they've had their challenges as well. And it's, you know, it's not about, oh, well, we have this sort of stigma around, around failure that, oh, well, you didn't, it, it's not even that you failed. It's like, well, you didn't succeed the first time. So are you worth another shot simply because of, because you didn't succeed? I was like, well, that's not, that should never, ever be the case. You know, I remember once being at a, this is maybe going back like five or six years, you know, being at a, being at a networking event and I sold someone, I was like, so what are you doing? And I was like, well, figuring it out right now. Like, what about your past? And however the conversation went, I forget. And it's like, well, I was at this job and I got, and you know, the company went nowhere. So then I went to this job and I got fired. And then I went to this job and I got fired. And the guy was just like, oh man, oh man, I, I'm glad I'm not you. You know, I'm glad I'm like, oh, I don't, th- I don't know what I would be able to do if I was fired twice. And I was like, same thing you do every night, Pinky. Wake up, put your boxes on and get on it. You know, go, go figure it out. Go work. You know, that's not to say I'm like this invincible guy who's like, ah, failure doesn't phase me. Is it, has it screwed me? Has it screwed me up or has it, you know, affected me in, in negative ways? Sure. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Where's the chaise go lie down on? And <laughs> the moment that you, that you risked everything and it didn't, it all went kaput. What Freud would say is that, um, you know, <laughs> It's, you know, it's tough. You know, I remember the first time, you know, the first time I got fired, I cried. I I cried like openly in that office and much like while they were having the conversation with you. Yeah. I couldn't hold, I couldn't hold it in. I was like, I wanted like, I wanted to like run out the door, go to my car, go home and just, but I couldn't hold it in. And I was actually like, there was tears of sorrow, but there was also tears of joy of me being like a, I'm so grateful that I don't have to come in here tomorrow and and fight something that I'm that I'm really battling hard against. And the second time it was it was the same thing. And I was like, oh, I'm just really glad I don't have to come in tomorrow. You know, and I will, you know, I think in the long run, it's also made me quite pragmatic, quite cautious about things. And yeah, you know, you you deal with these things and you try and, and figure out what's, you know, is there something wrong with me? Is there something that is missing in me? Am I not good enough? Or what is it that I'm, 
missing that other people have? You know, why is it that my career has had so many stop starts and not, and, you know, everybody else is, everybody else seems to be flying. I think like social media all the way through, you know, especially if you're looking at career wise, even LinkedIn can, uh, can be a bad source for that. If you, so I guess like, especially for the last couple of years, I was hardly ever on LinkedIn because I was seeing everybody's like, Hey, congratulations on their new job. Congratulations on their promotion. Congratulations on that. And you are, you know, you have a, you know, hundred thousand dollar MBA degree and you're picking up boxes for a living. You know, you're, you know, you're at the end of the day, you're putting wine on a shelf for a living, you know, and at some point in my last retail job, in a way of helping, I was even like the delivery person for, for a little while. So things become really, really tough and you have to sort of compartmentalize things and you have to look, it's very difficult to look at the bigger picture when, you know, you spend eight hours a day, you know, driving around the state dropping off boxes of wine and, and, you know, sometimes, you know, in retail, especially sometimes people can be really amazing. Sometimes they can be absolutely terrible. It's, it's difficult. There are lots of weapons, I think, you know, to, to fight that, you know, therapy, even though I've not been great with therapy when I've been able to, to be in, be able to talk to someone about everything has been really, really helpful. Friends and friends and partners are fantastic for that. You know, having people in your life that you can share and talk to things about and bounce ideas off of are are really important. And I think you know, e- each of us we find our we find our coping mechanisms. We find our ways of battling with things because I think you know having all these these challenges in your way and looking at your life in comparison to others will almost inevitably lead to some sort of depression or, or things like that. And, and I guess in a way uh, that depression was kind of a, uh, was kind of a lucky break for me. It seems a bit weird to, to think about it like that, to say, wait, depression is, Depression is a horrible thing. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But, you know, having to face my depression made me face the root causes of it. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize things that had gone under the radar for a long, long time. Anxiety, ADHD, bipolar disorder, all of these things you know, really only came to the forefront when I was able to say, I need to, I need to look this in the face. I need to get over it and get through it because if I don't, I'll be stuck. I'll either be stuck where I am and, you know, on the floor of a retail store, which I, where I don't want to be long-term at least. And I won't be able to be that, you know, awesome entrepreneur who I see myself being just crazy because I never really saw myself as an entrepreneur until until recently but you know 
in that sense, depression was a, was a good thing for me because it made me fight my biggest enemy, which was, it turns out myself. So was some of the failure that you faced kind of an impetus to look yourself square in the eye and get, and get sort of accountable or um, was it a kind of a holding a mirror up to yourself at some point finally? I think it was holding a mirror to myself and saying like, who are you and what do you want to be and what do you want in life? And I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of us sort of think about, but a lot of people like myself, we kind of don't. We kind of don't think about like, where do I want to be in 20 years time? Maybe we have some dreams about it, you know, but it's never, you know, sort of laid out like an action, an action plan. And that's kind of, you know, where I sort of had to, to start looking at myself and being like, okay, what is it that makes you, you, the good and the bad? And how do you embrace all of it? Because you can't just say like, well, these are my flaws and how do I fix my flaws? Then you're not really fixing anything. You're, you're changing who you are. So my goal was not, it, it is not, was not, and will not be to, you know, to change who I am rather than just to embrace the flaws and, you know, make sure that I, I, I'm not going to let them define define who I am. You know, it's it's really about you know self definition, self worth. Celebrate who you who you are. Realize what your flaws are, and you know, make the most out of them. Otherwise, they'll consume you. I mean, I think you do have to have a strong constitution for being an entrepreneur. It is something where, you know, your identity is wrapped up in your idea, your passion, it's your baby, it's everything. And when it fails or it's failure to launch or however you want to kind of, you know, setbacks, it's really demoralizing. And you do have to be sort of fitness in the mind and in the body to to persevere. So I, I applaud it. As an entrepreneur, as a founder, as a CEO, you have to have your finger on the pulse of not just different activities within the business, but different activities like outside the business. You have to be able, especially in the early days, you know, you got to know how to file paperwork. You got to know how to, you know, handle these things. You don't know how to do payroll. You got to know how to do, you know, health and benefits. You know, you got to be able to write reports, send reports, you know, manage people, you know, come up with the big ideas, but also be able to, you know, listen and implement the smallest little things. So it's a really like those early days, you got to be able to do everything. So I'm going to ask you to flip that when you were going through some of your dark times and going through your self-discovery and self-awareness and, you know, holding yourself accountable or getting that mirror held up, were you an army of one for that? No, I wasn't. I have been, you know, very lucky to, you know, at the time I've had a partner, you know, who's, who's still like really, really close to me and someone who I, who I cherish and admire, you know, deeply who was that and is today, is that mirror, is that person who, who sort of 
you know, sometimes you, you need that person in your life, that other human who can go stop your bullshit or, you know, get your head out of your ass. And it just need, you just need that sometimes, you know, it, if you, the moment that you think you're an army of one is the moment that you're kind of lost. Everybody needs someone, you know, whether it's a business partner or a life partner or anything, just someone who's just like there to say, it's not that bad. How can entrepreneurs find those networks or find that support? You know, I tend to think entrepreneurialism is an army of one. It is kind of lonely. How can you, if you're an army of one, find support? Unless you are a complete loner in this world, that support system is there for you. You just have to pick your head up, look around, and you will find someone there, whether it is a friend, a partner, a family member, a parent, whatever. There's someone there who is happy to to listen to you. And if you don't have that person, hopefully you have health insurance so you can go and pay for a therapist and the therapist will tell you to pull your head out of your ass. And if they don't, find (laughs) find another therapist. What I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you think you're an army of one, just stop and, and look around because you may not even realize, and I, I certainly haven't realized until recently, that there are people, you know, either really close to me or maybe even sometimes not that close to me who are willing to listen to you and who will, you know, who are your, your biggest fans and your biggest supporters who are just willing to listen to you. Sometimes you just, even if you're doing everything, even if you're physically actually doing everything, having someone to talk those things out to is a huge, huge help. So yeah, sit up, take a look around and you are more likely than not, you've got someone right there. You just didn't realize who it was. I think it's so a lot of it is definitely mindset in terms of overcoming what you perceive to be setbacks or what you perceive to be obstacles, whether they're you've created them or they're real, you know, barriers to entry in the space. But that is, you know, cultivating that, as they say, gratitude mindset does seem to help. Yeah. And, you know, I would say, you know, there are so many different things out there that it's like, oh, change your mindset and fix it to this, fix your mindset this way, fix your mindset this way. You kind of got to find those little pieces that, that work for you that are going to be the most effective. And it's a lot of trial and error. It's certainly, you know, sometimes some sort of self-reflection has been helpful to me. Sometimes other self-reflection hasn't. Meditation is a good one for me that like, you know, meditation didn't work not because it was, you know, a terrible idea, but because like, I'm so hyper most of the time. Like when I, as soon as I sit down, put my feet down and try and meditate, I'm like, yeah, I need to go and do something. (laughs) But, you know, meditation, you know, mindsets, tools that you can, that you have at your disposal, they're all out there. Like we all know that, you know, there, 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 there are ways to, there are ways to tune your mindset to what you want it to be. It's like, if, if I liken it to anything, because I'm kind of a musician at heart, I, I love playing guitar. 
you know, and if I want to play a song, you know, sometimes I have to tune that, I have to tune those strings to the sounds that I want them to be for, for me to create that song. I have to tune it up or tune it down. You know, one string has to go lower, maybe something goes high. You know, I got to find that tuning to be able to, to write and play that song. And that's exactly what I think, like a mindset, your, your mind is. You have to tune your mind to be able to do the things that you want to do it. Well, it's pretty powerful stuff. And as someone, you know, you really do seem to have conquered your mind and have now begun to conquer and corner the niche wine market for direct consumer, really cool brands to, uh, for wineries. What's next for you? Oh, what's next? Keep doing what I'm doing, I think is, is a large part of what's next. You know, I definitely think that in terms of the company um, that we're building, it, it is a, it is something special, and I think that it is going to help a lot of small businesses you know, around the country. So what I want to do is keep doing that. And then what is next? I think it, it, it all stems from that from that thing like to keep helping these small businesses to make the most out of their out of their ways. And who knows? Maybe in 10, 15 years, I'll have that dream of owning a vineyard and owning a winery of my own. But I, I think have no doubt. I have no doubt. <laughs> I think that uh, if the last ten or fifteen years has taught me anything, it's that your goals may change, your dreams may change, things may change. The best thing to do is to live, to be as happy as possible in in the moment, and to be to be grateful what you for what you have, and not and not wanting for the things that you don't have. So as long as I can keep that up. You know, I'll be, I'll be good. All right. Final question. Describe yourself by saying three things that you are not. That's a great question. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not a wine snob. I'm not a wine expert. That's one thing. I'm, I'm not bad at sales. I'm actually really good. And I'm not a bad storyteller. And you're definitely not a failure. So we look forward to reading. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not a failure. Regardless of whether the company itself succeeds or doesn't, the fact that I or anybody else is, is a failure. So that's me. That was incredible. Thank you so much, Damien. As I said, uh, you're so candid and natural around us. So amazing. Good to, good to chat and awesome. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to The Entrepreneur. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about The Entrepreneur, including booking information, please visit pod617.com slash entrepreneur. The Entrepreneur is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.